0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Resurrection Community Church in Virginia Beach. We seek to connect people to God and one another through His Word and hope this sermon brings you closer to God. So now let's turn our attention to uh, God's Word. Uh, This morning I'll be reading from Genesis chapter 3 as we continue to make our way through Genesis. Uh, On the back table there are Genesis journals that you can get and uh, follow along. You can write notes in those. But uh, Genesis chapter 3 is where, where the wheels might come off, you might, you might say. Where the wheels do come off, you might say. Uh, the last two weeks as we've been looking at Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, we've seen just the, the glory of creation and the world as it was supposed to be. And God made everything and puts everything in its place and makes people and gives them a mission. And uh, everything looks wonderful and happy. And then we get to Genesis chapter 3 like how quickly has this all gone downhill um, and so you might say uh, in Genesis chapter 3 Genesis chapter 3 is when Adam and Eve sin and disobey God and get kicked out of the garden and you might say well this is not what I wanted to hear this morning uh, maybe that's why some people didn't come that's not true actually it's because <laughs> it's because they're sick but uh, not, not because they're avoiding it but, uh, but, but we think that right we think that man I don't want to hear bad news I don't want to hear about why things are the way that they are, why everything is falling apart in this world. I don't, I don't need the Bible to tell me that. I can see it on the news. I can see it in my life. We can see all these things but yet we do need to understand why because unless we understand why things have gone downhill, why things tend to fall apart, why things tend to go badly, we don't know what to do about it. What we'll see then in Genesis chapter 3 is that the truth is There's not much that we can do about it. But as you listen to this, listen for the horror of it, listen for the shock of it, but also listen for the hope. Because even here in Genesis chapter 3, there is hope. And so as we come face to face with the reality of sin, we also see the hope that God offers. So I'm going to read now Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 24. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for all your many blessings to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you gave this word to your people so long ago and caused it to be preserved for us, that we might hear it today, that you, this might be your words to us today. We pray now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would take this word and sink it deep into us, that it would not merely be transformation for our heads, but, uh, but not merely be information for our heads, but transformation for our hearts, that it may change the way that we think, the way that we feel, the way that we live today and in the days to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. I promised I do have things in the bag. This is primarily a question for the children but uh, anybody can answer. So I have two things in this bag. I have in this bag a very large Twix, and I have in this bag a very colorful Tide Pod. And so if I gave you a choice, and I said, would you like to eat the Twix, or would you like to eat the Tide Pod, I said, look, the Twix is candy and delicious, and the Tide Pod is gross and will make you sick and possibly kill you, Which one would you take? Which one would you take? You would take the Twix, right? Now what if somebody else came up and said, no, 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 but the Tide Pod is pretty. Look at it. It's gonna be good for you. It's gonna make you clean. It's detergent. It's clean and pretty clean. You should eat that one instead of the Twix. What would you do? You would still eat the Twix, right? But what did Adam and Eve do? They ate the Tide Pod. The fundamental message here in Genesis chapter three is that the sin of Adam and Eve is just as foolish and makes just as little sense as if you were given the choice between a Twix and a Tide Pod and you said, no thanks, I'll take the Tide Pod. Like that's crazy. And here in Genesis chapter three, the thing that, the, that God wants us to see Is that sin doesn't make any sense sin was fundamentally crazy from the beginning it just it comes out of nowhere and there's very little explanation for it you know everything was wonderful in genesis chapter 2. God made the man he was not good for him to be alone he makes the woman they're in this perfect partnership to keep and guard the earth and do everything right and work together and they were excited they were naked and not ashamed and then chapter uh, chapter 3 verse 1 now the serpent was more crafty like where did the serpent come from we don't know where the serpent came from it does not say there is no explanation in any of genesis chapter 3 of why this happened other than a little bit that eve liked the look of the fruit and adam an saying, he was just there he's just there and he takes these like fruit sure i'll take it come on adam but but it's crazy The serpent's like, did God say this? And he's like, yeah, no, no. God said don't eat that tree, but eat everything else. He's like, yeah, God's lying. And they listen to the serpent. Like, it's absurd. And then God says to Adam, why did you eat it? And he's like, well, the woman gave it to me, and I ate it. Like, that's not really a reason, right? It's really not a reason. At least Eve said the serpent deceived me. That's that's something there, but but we get this. We realize this makes sense to us when we think about it, that sin does not make any sense. So think about this situation, not as Adam and Eve, but your ordinary parent-child interaction every other day. Parents, you feel this now from the parent side, children, you may know this from being on the child side, or you may remember it from being on the child side. Why did you do that? Why did you hit your brother? I don't know, right? And, and the fact is, there is no good explanation because sin doesn't make any sense. And really the only right explanation, whether we're a child or whether an adult, when we do something wrong, is, I sinned, it was stupid. I, there was no good reason to do that. And I did it anyway, because right from the beginning, This is how our first human, our our first parents were. Adam and Eve were like, ah, serpent, God, serpent? Yeah, we'll listen to the serpent. Sounds like a great idea, let's eat the fruit. No, it doesn't make any sense. So what is that, what do we do with that? If Adam and Eve were so easily uh, deceived by the serpent and go and go and eat this fruit in direct disobedience to God's command, the one command that he gave them to not do this, and they're like, okay, we'll do it. if that was so easy to deceive them, and we know from our own experience that we fall into sin so easily, right? Shall I tell the truth that's slightly embarrassing to me or shall I tell a white lie? Yeah, white lie. You know, shall I say kind words to this person or shall I say mean words? Eh, I think I'll be mean, right? We, we fall into these all the time. So what hope is there? What hope is there for us? What hope is there for this world? when we see not just, the, not, not just the, the absurdity of why would I lie, why would I cheat, why would I take something that doesn't belong to me, but we see the big complex problems of the world, how sin has grown and grown and grown into problems that now seem so unsolvable, the only hope we have is in God's grace. And when we look here at Genesis chapter 3, well, the big picture is that we see the absurdity of sin, and we see the collapse of perfect humanity and Adam being cursed and expelled from the garden, throughout it all we also see the grace of God. We see the grace of God in that he did not strike them down from the beginning, instead he comes and calls to them. When God walks through the garden in verse eight and in verse nine and calls them in and says, where are you? Do we think that God does not know where Adam is? No, of course he knows. Of course he knows where he is, and of course he knows what he has done. He knows everything. But he walks in the garden and he calls to Adam and he talks to him. And he calls to Eve and he talks to her. Why? Because he's showing grace to them. He's going in there and he's, he sees the mess and instead of just sweeping it all away, he's like, I'm, I'm coming in. I'm going to get my hands dirty and we're gonna deal with this. So he talks to them about what they have done. He talks to them about the consequences of what they have done, because disobeying God will have consequences. There is no way to get around that. But even in those consequences, there is still grace, because we see now that to Eve, he says, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing consequences. In pain, you shall bring forth children, but there will still be children the mission to fulfill, to fill the earth, to multiply and fill the earth, as God gave them the mission at the beginning, that's still gonna happen. Nothing is going to stop that. Your desires shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Consequences. The perfect relationship is no longer perfect. The perfect relationship is now full of pain, but there's still marriage. She will still have a husband. They will still be able to walk in that one flesh relationship, even with the pain. To Adam, you have listened, uh, you know, in pain you shall eat of it. Cursed uh, curse shall be the ground, and pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. You'll sweat, you'll toil, but you shall still work. The mission to work and reflect God's image to the world is not taken away. There are consequences, there are pain, but the grace is that he, they can continue. They can still do the work that God has given them to work. Verse 21, the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. They had made fig leaves to cover themselves. And God says, we, let's do better than this. Grace, that he took care of them. Even their, their expulsion from the garden, which the text, it, 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 like, it leaves you hanging. Verse 22, now lest he reach out of his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Well, what would happen? We don't know. But we can, we can see that it is grace here that God sends them out. Therefore the God sends them out and where? Because the greatest grace of all that is easy to miss is in verse 15. When he curses the serpent, see there's hope for the man, there's hope for the woman, there's hope for humanity. There's no hope for the serpent. He is cursed, he is put away, he is not given a chance to answer. God says, you're done. Cursed are you above all livestock, Verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So which one's worse, to be bruised on the heel or to be crushed on the head? Worse to be crushed on the head, right? So the snakes, yes snake, the serpent, Satan himself will nip at God's people. But God says right here, the serpent will be crushed. And at first, what it sounds like just, oh, people and snakes don't get along, we see throughout the biblical story that this language of offspring or seed is picked up by the authors throughout to say, no, 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 no. There's a specific, a singular here, a single person. And that this is saying that one day a particular seed, a particular offspring, a particular descendant of Eve will come and crush Satan forever. And right here from the beginning is God's promise. Adam and Eve, you, you can't take care of this. You carry on in your mission, the mission that I gave you. I'm gonna have to clothe you with skin, with animal skins. It's gonna be painful, there's gonna be consequences. I'm gonna take care of this myself. And so right from the beginning, we see that God's grace is the only solution to our sin problem. So what, what does that mean for us? We must rely on his grace when faced with the evil of sin in the world with the terror of sin in the world with the shame of sin in the world all we can do is fall back on God's grace and so we can see quickly then three aspects to relying on his grace what does that look like to rely on God's grace in response to the sin of the world one to recognize the problem two, to admit our part and three to cling to his promise so first to recognize the problem that the fundamental problem in the world is not random chance nor is it ignorance the fundamental problem is sin the fundamental problem is disobedience and this this helps us give clarity when we see what's wrong say what is the problem here the problem is sin the problem is that relationships are Are broken so when we look in our workplaces and we're frustrated by our work the problem is not that we have to work work is good work is from God but the problem is that sin has corrupted our work in the workplace and we no longer take the same delight in our work that we were created to we no longer work together well the way that we were created to but by separating the good that God created of work from the bad of the way that sin has corrupted it we can see things more clearly, and we can seek the right solutions. When we look in our families and we see problems in broken relationships, we realize that the family that God has created, as we saw last week, it's not good for man to be alone, that families and community and relationships are good. That is not to be rejected. The solution is not to go off and isolate ourselves, but the solution is to seek God's help in dealing with the sin that affects those relationships. So we separate the good of what God has created from the ways that sin has marred it. And so easy it is so easy for us to fall into the trap that thinking the problem is just a lack of knowledge. If we understood things better, it would be better. In fact, this is the, you know, if you look out in the world, this, this happens over and over again. You'll see it in the news. Some, uh, something happens you know in a company at a at a corporate level or in a company store i'm i'm thinking of starbucks here not to not to pick on josh but you know there was there was a particular incident a while back at a starbucks where some customers were treated unfairly because of their race and they were treated wrongly and what was the response the response was to make everybody undergo sensitivity training now i'm not really here to knock sensitivity training it's it's good to understand things it's good as far as it goes but it but it misses the part of the problem the heart of the problem is not a lack of knowledge the heart of the problem is sin and unfortunately that's something that you know corporations in the world out there can't can't really do anything about that right but in the church In the community of God's people we know that there's a better solution because we see here the the knowledge that was actually the temptation it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil it was not a lack of knowledge that was the problem when they went out and stretched out their hands to get the knowledge that's when they fell again I'm not saying that we shouldn't seek understanding and knowledge we we are where we are we do know things and now we We seek to know as much as we can and have as much wisdom as we can, but our fundamental need is to obey God and to seek change in our hearts. So what do we do when we see things not going right in the world? we see things not going right in our own lives, when we find ourselves disobeying? We're not going to find the solution in gaining more knowledge or in a new plan or in self-help we will find the solution in a change of heart. And that change of heart can only come through God's grace. And so when we see that we are not the people we want to be, we pray, we cry out to God and we say, God, I'm, I'm just like Adam and Eve here. I'm not listening to you. I'm not obeying you. Will you change my heart? Will you make your grace more real in my life? Will you do that for me? Will you do that for other people who are hurting me? Because we also think sometimes we can fix other people if we just explain it to them. Doesn't usually work, right? But we can pray for them. We can pray for them honestly and fervently, recognizing that their problems are not that different from our problems. And they need to be changed and we need to be changed. So we recognize the right problem and then we admit our part. We have to be honest about the reality of sin and how we disobey. It's interesting in the responses of Adam and Eve that in a, in a sense, we can look at these and see them both kind of trying to shift the blame. Adam says, eh, the woman, you gave, she gave me the fruit. And Eve says, the serpent deceived me. But also notice, they both do admit it. The woman, in verse 12, Adam, the woman, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. The serp- in verse 13, Eve, the serpent deceived me, and I ate like we we can give Adam and Eve some credit they don't deny that they ate the fruit but this is this kind of where we find ourselves right I yeah I did that but but it was her fault but it was his fault and so we need to we need to admit fully the problem when we do wrong we just say we're wrong we're wrong I sinned why did you sin I I don't know I just, I did, I didn't want to, but I did. And, and we resist with every fiber of our being the temptation to make an excuse or to explain how what you did was worse or what these other people did was worse or I don't do it very often. But just say, I sinned, will you forgive me? Because until we admit our part in the problem, we cannot really receive the solution. This is hard. Did you know? How many Americans will admit to having lied to their doctor? Anybody know? 58% of all Americans admit to having lied to their doctor. That doesn't even count the ones who won't admit having lied to their doctor, right? And some of you are thinking, that's crazy. And others of you are thinking, yeah, I lie to my doctor all the time. So, right, we, we get this, right? There, and there, of course, there's lots of reasons for it, but when you step back and think about it, like. That's crazy, right? Don't, don't lie to your doctor, because your doctor cannot help you if he or she does not know the truth about what's going on. And sometimes these are things that don't make that big a difference. Like some of those are like, I'm lying to my doctor when I say, yeah, I'm gonna do that, and then you're not actually gonna do that. And you're not, I'm not actually gonna exercise more. Well, okay, not that big deal. But if you're not telling doctors about symptoms that you're having, then you might get the wrong medicine. Right, and that's a problem. And yet we do it anyway, because, we, because why? All kinds of reasons. We're ashamed, we're embarrassed, we don't wanna do the hard thing. And yet it's the same thing with us and God. Until we tell the truth to our doctor, it's hard to get the right medicine from them. Until we admit the truth before God, we cannot really receive his grace and forgiveness and embrace it in our lives. So what does that mean for us? We have gotta admit our part, we have gotta confess our sins And there's really, there's two two pieces to this. One would be kind of a, a discipline to say, I'm going to make a habit of confessing my sins daily before God. We do it on Sundays, right? We have the confession of sin in every service. We have time of quiet to confess our own sins. You can do that on your own. Before you go to bed, say, Lord, I have sinned. Forgive me that I may go to bed in peace. And I may know that my sins are forgiven. But then you can dig a little deeper and say, why don't we want to do that? Why don't we want to admit our sins before God? Why don't we want to just admit our sins before people? Why do we always feel the need to make excuses? And most often it's because we don't really embrace the forgiveness that God offers. Yes, we see here in Genesis 3 that there are consequences. But as I went through from the beginning, there's more grace than there are consequences. And the consequences are going to be there whether we fully admit the sin or not. So better to fully admit it and receive the grace and believe that God loves us and know that he covers our shame. See that shame, we want to cover up ourselves. Adam and Eve covered themselves with fig leaves. We cover ourselves with excuses. We cover ourselves with trying to make it up in other ways. And what God is saying to us is no, let me cover you. Let me cover you with my covering. Let me cover you and with with the hope that there is a a redeemer, that our hope that one day this will all be taken away, with the promise that the serpent will be crushed. And when we embrace that hope that God is not ashamed of us, then we can admit our failings to other people and not be ashamed before them either. Because God has covered us up. God has covered us with animal skins. But more importantly, God has covered us with the promise of Jesus. That's the third one. We recognize the problem, we admit our part, we cling to his promise. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the promise that one day there will come one from the offspring of the woman who will crush Satan forever. And this is not me making something up from here. This is picked up through, throughout the Old Testament. God trace, uh, the, the, the biblical authors inspired by God trace the lines. Of God's people. We will come to places in Genesis where we get to read lists of names. It'll be thrillingly exciting, <laughs> but it's important because God is tracing that right down from Adam he is working to see that his promise will be kept. And when we get to the New Testament and those names, those genealogies, they're traced all the way to Jesus. At the first, in, chapter, in Luke chapter 4, the Gospel of Luke, Luke traces from Adam right down to Jesus straight through the unbroken line of God's promises. And then in Galatians Paul references these verses specifically and reminds us that this offspring was a singular one. That this is a promise of Jesus coming. And the only ultimate hope we have for dealing with sin is that Jesus dealt with sin perfectly. Because he was the one who came and had no sin in himself. Had no shame that had to be covered by himself. And so When he went to the cross, he took all of our shame. It says in Hebrews that he went to the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. So all the guilt, all the shame of our sin, Jesus takes it all on himself, takes it to the cross and says, this is done. The serpent is crushed. He has no more power. He will stand and accuse you. He will tell you things that you should feel bad about, that you should work harder to make it right, that you should not talk to people because you've done something wrong. And Jesus says, I took that all to the cross and you have nothing to fear. You have have no eternal punishment to fear. You have no anger from others to fear because I love you and I am pleased with you. And I took all your sin and shame to the cross. So all we can do when we see the sin in our lives, we see the sin in the world, is cling to the promise and turn back to Jesus and say, Jesus, you've taken care of this. Make me know the power of your forgiveness in my life. Make me no longer ashamed. The rest of the things out there in the world, the effects of the sin, you take care of those. So we come to him in prayer. Lord, we cannot handle these things. You take care of them. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you love us, that you you have compassion on us. We thank you that in the, even in the midst of sin and evil and shame and sadness, even in the destruction of all that is right and good, you offer hope and healing in the promise of Jesus. Would you teach us what it means to cling to Jesus each and every day? We pray this in his name. Amen.